Hi fam, and welcome to a Sober Girls podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and I have been sober for 11 years, and through that time have been through my own ups and downs, not only with staying sober, but also learning to live life on life's terms. If you are listening to this, then you have previously or are currently struggling and are ready to take certain steps to get better. Alcoholism has affected each of us differently, but we all have the same stories, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. You are ready to make a change in your life, and we are glad to have you here. This community is one of strength, commonality, and inclusion. The only way we stay sober is to help the suffering alcoholic and addict, and I am ready to take you on that journey with me. So let's get started. What is up? Happy Wednesday, fam. I hope that you had an amazing weekend. And since the last time we spoke, go Rams. Also, congratulations and welcome to the Minnesota Vikings' new head coach, Kevin O'Connell. Being a Minnesota girl, even though I'm in Richmond, uh, I still follow everything Minnesota sports, and I'm rather excited. So, last week we talked about hope, how this program is... Basically, everything about this program has hope ingrained into it, right? We couldn't find a specific story that said this person solely talks about hope. Their entire story encompasses what the program can give to us if we work the steps, if we talk about our transgressions, and if we move forward in service and helping the next alcoholic. So hope is a good subject to have. Got me thinking about a really rough place in my life that kind of actually continues to pour into today. And I know you guys remember me talking about an incident that happened a couple of months ago. When I look back on that incident, you know, I talk to my sponsor and I go to my meetings and I do my reading and I meet with my therapist. There is one aspect of mental health and sobriety that we do not talk about. And that is outside of putting the plug in the jug and working the steps, right? Working the steps is super important. The part we don't talk about is emotional sobriety. Emotional sobriety. Let me read something to you from Bill Wilson, who is one of the founders of AA. And it states that, so back in 1958, Bill Wilson had addressed the issue of emotional sobriety He made this statement in a, basically a Grapevine article. And if you've never heard of the Grapevine, the Grapevine is an article or a magazine, sorry, which is composed of different articles for people regarding their own journey with sobriety. And they're a bunch of shorts. They're really good. I suggest subscribing to the Grapevine because they have so many different topics that they go over to include sobriety during the pandemic, sobriety and dating, lots of different things. But Bill Wilson had this to say. Since AA began, I've taken immense wallops in all these areas because of my failure to grow up, emotionally and spiritually. My God, how painful it is to keep demanding the impossible and how very painful to discover finally that all along we have had the cart before the horse. Then comes the final agony of seeing how awfully wrong we have been, but still finding ourselves unable to get off the emotional merry-go-round. And they say when you experience trauma, that you're stuck in that age. And I never thought of that, actually, until I read it. And it's been on my mind for a really, really long time to talk about emotional sobriety. Because it's something that, honestly, I didn't think about 
I, I truly, I truly, truly did not think about emotional sobriety up until recently. And I'm reading this book and the book is by Alan Berger, PhD. And Mr. Berger had worked for and was a part of Hazelden back home in Minnesota. And he has got this whole book on choosing emotional sobriety through self-awareness and right action. And you guys, this book hit home so hard for me. It talks about a patient, John, and John was sober, right? He had been sober for 10 years. I had been sober for 11 years. And he went to go see a therapist and he kept talking about his past and everything that was wrong in his past and everything that was happening there. But he was suffering from major depression and anxiety. And the therapist took a minute and realized that John was actually suffering from not having emotional sobriety. He had been alcohol-free and drug-free, but emotional sobriety is not about being free of emotions. We're always going to have our emotions. It's uh, about freeing ourselves from the bondage of our emotional state. It's when we experience our emotions and respect them, but here's the key. Here's the key. We respond to them the way that we would respond to other kinds of information. So we didn't act out in a knee-jerk response to every passing emotional state as if it were our life's rule or drug, nor do we blame our emotional responses on other people. We take full responsibilities for our emotions and our choice to act or not on the information that they feed us. So I'm going to talk about my emotional sobriety. And I have said for months that I would be willing to tell my side of the story because here's the deal. My side of the story is exactly what other alcoholics go through. And my side of the story is what people need to be aware of in their sobriety. And so I will rewind a couple of years. About probably... At this point now, two and a half years ago, three years ago, I was very active um, on Twitter. It was definitely at the height of the pandemic in 2020 and probably just just a little bit before that, maybe a couple of months, I had befriended a couple of friends on Twitter and it was two females. They were really good friends of mine through Twitter and we had grown really, really close Probably mm, Mar probably June of the pandemic, I met another gal and she and I became really good friends. And I really, really liked her. She is fun, she's outgoing, she's a lot like me, and she's genuine. So I met these three gals at the height of the pandemic, and I had been trying to come home for years because I really wanted to meet them. I felt in my heart of hearts, that I had fit in with them. I felt that I was my genuine self, right? I felt that I was who I was supposed to be being friends with them. And it wasn't until this huge incident in August that I realized I had been lying to myself. And it's not that they weren't good people. It's not that they weren't good friends. It's not that I wasn't a good friend. Yesterday, we were talking about relationships in our AA meeting. And one guy had said that, 
you know, what's your motivation for being in this relationship? It didn't matter what the relationship was. And that really, you like, stuck out to me because I know you guys, I have talked about motivation and friendships and relationships before. And so I thought about it and my motivation was just at the point to be friends with these girls because they reminded me of home. But now I got to rewind all the way back to 2012. And this is not a fun place for me to be because it's just not. This all connects together, but I'm telling you my story. And if this leaks into two episodes, it leaks into two episodes. In 2012, I had initially separated from my spouse at the time. And again, I was a sports photographer and I had met a lot of people in the media. I had created friendships and relationships on Twitter again. And, you know, after this, I'm wondering if I should get rid of Twitter. Just kidding. I'm not getting rid of Twitter. (laughs) Twitter can't get rid of me. I had met a man and um, he was substantially older than I was. Uh, That didn't bother me. I don't care. I got daddy issues. So whatever. I've never dated anyone my age. Everyone my age has always been like super older, at least 10 years older than me. Yeah, like queen of daddy issues here. And it wasn't the, I don't know. I want to say it wasn't the, it wasn't the attention, but it was the attention. At that point, I had left my husband for the first time. It's, that's a whole nother story. And I was separated from him and oh, this man showed me a ton of attention. Man, did he show me attention. Um, <laughs> made me feel beautiful, made me feel loved, made me feel accepted. And to boot, we had the same situation we were going through. We were both newly separated, getting ready to go through a divorce. And we kind of found that comfort in each other. At least that's what I had been told. God, a part of me should have known, right? Like, I was being honest, so I assumed he was being honest. And I should have noticed by all the things that weren't happening that he wasn't being honest with me. But I was so in love with him. When I tell you that I... (laughs) He showed me colors that I'd never seen before. And so I chose probably in my ignorance, to truly believe that he wasn't still married. That the hotel meetings and the late night dinners and him always coming to see me, me not going to see him, just was because of his job. I really believe that he loved me. My mom believed that he loved me. Uh, My mom and my stepmom were the only people who knew, and I kept it that way for a very specific reason. It came to me later on, very obvious, that he was still married. And once again, I was the other woman. Once again, I was so desperate for love. I truly believed what he told me and that he loved me. My God, you guys, this is so embarrassing. I'm sorry. I really don't know why I believed we would ride off into the sunset together. And then I got really sick. I got uh, meningitis, bacterial meningitis, and I almost died sober, barely two years by now. And I told him that um, I was really sick and in the hospital. 
and he couldn't make it up to see me, but he would check on me all the time. All the time, he texted me and checked on me. And um, at that same time, my ex-husband flew home and promised me he'd be a better husband and take care of me. And by this time, I had find, found out about this guy's marriage. So I, uh, I moved to Richmond, Virginia. Best decision I ever made, but hardest decision I ever made. Because I knew if I moved, any opportunity I had to be with him, <laughs> despite the fucking fact that he was married, was over. And um, that pain haunted me for a long time. A long, long time. Still does. So um, fast forward a few years. And I'm sure you're wondering, why does it even matter that no one can know who I had an affair with? It just so happened that they all knew of each other or knew each other. And so for me, it was a matter of... I hadn't talked to him for probably years at this point. Thought about him off and on. And that was about it. Happily married now. But still remember that, man, that... What's crazy is, is it even, it's, isn't even a real relationship, is it? Like, I can say I remember those feelings and those emotions and the relationship. But yeah, he even got my son involved. He met my son on multiple occasions. So for me, like, at what point, when you involve my child, is it not a relate? Like, ugh. <laughs> he was so good. So good. <laughs> at being so bad. So, fast forward a few years. I had met these girls through Twitter. And we were all friends. And I was excited to come home. Now... One of the friends of mine quit kind of speaking to me before I came home. And I wasn't real sure why that was. I don't know if, to this day, I still don't know why that was. But I was very respectful of her space and I wasn't going to crowd her. So I just quit messaging her and texting her. And we all ended up getting together and hanging out. Well, what happened was at that same time, probably, I don't know, a year prior to that, there was another Twitter user that had gone into sobriety. And I was going to, it's always my thing, right, to um, help another addict who's suffering because that's basically what we do. That's part of the program is helping the other alcoholic and addict who's still suffering. And I told him that we were, I'd be coming home and I'd love an opportunity to meet him and say, hey, that was it. Meet him and say, hey. And I told him that I was going to be going out with a group of friends and I let him know who the friends were. Or I didn't let him know who the friends were at that time. I let him know I was going out with a group of friends and that if he wanted to stop by and say, hey, that would be great. And on the way to where we were going, he sent me a message. And the message said, hey, I have anxiety or something along those lines. And he said, who is all going to be there just because I have anxiety or something along those lines? And I was like, like, I don't really want to tell him because the people that I had met on Twitter have a very large Twitter presence in the state of Minnesota. They have a very large following and I was not comfortable with letting him know who they were because I was trying to protect them at the time. But ultimately I thought, well, he seems harmless. I'll just let him know. And he said, oh good, can I maybe swing by and say hi? You know, we're big fans, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, that's all right. That's fine. But let me talk to them first because this is my first time meeting them in person. So please just like wait to hear from me. So I'd met my friends. We went out and had lunch and breakfast and everything else and met my friends and went to our event 
and I said hi to this person who had been following me in sobriety and you know I said hey nice to meet you I'm gonna go meet my friends over here now prior to all this he had made the statement that oh my dad is huge into baseball if you're friends with me I can get you into this I can get you into that and I was like okay like that didn't matter to me at the time like you selling yourself doesn't (laughs) make me want to be friends with you I don't care what you have to offer me that doesn't really matter right so I continued on with my friend and we went to go meet our other group of friends and we had just been hanging out and talking and getting to know them and it was a little bit awkward a little bit standoffish not really engaging with me in conversation they were but they weren't and I felt really out of place but I thought eh, this is just because we're all meeting for the first time in two and a half three years we're all nervous blah 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 and I had actually passed on getting together with someone from college that I had been friends with for years and not seen in a long time because I wanted to make these relationships with these new friends work. And if there's ever a time in your life where you have the adage or saying, remember where you came from or who was there for you in the beginning? Yeah, definitely learned that because I ended up hurting one of my extremely, extremely best friends and he doesn't want anything to do with me because I basically ditched him to be with them thinking this was finally like the group of girlfriends that I had always wanted. I finally fit in somewhere and I was kind of, this is going back to the original story now, getting the life that I wanted when I met my ex-boyfriend who lied to me and was married and blah blah blah. So what was my motivation? right? What was my motivation? Well, my motivation was I was finally getting a group of girlfriends, man. I was finally fitting in. I was finally with these girls and we had been talking for three years. And so we knew like everything about each other, except for my dark secret, because nobody knew that. But I also didn't want to tell them that because I didn't want them to think that I was coming after them for something. So I've just been holding onto the secret for years anyway. And so my motivation was I finally have friends that make me feel good and that have a good following and a good impact and a good morale and everything like that. So for me, the motivation was I finally had these girlfriends. The motivation was I was finally getting a chance at that life that I was told I would have from 10 years ago. And that made me really happy. It made me really, really happy. I felt like I was 20 years old again. Like I was hanging out with the girls and we were having a good time. And I found this passage in a book. And it's in the Emotional Sobriety book by Alan Berger. And it says, (laughs) this is so crazy, you guys. Bill Wilson demonstrated the importance of taking emotional inventory. The content of his letter and the introduction was based on what he discovered when he searched deep within himself to understand the underlying cause of his depression. He identified the nature of the emotional pattern connected with his depression. Bill realized that his unreasonable expectations for people and circumstances to meet his quote-unquote perfectionist-specific and dreams were created by an quote-unquote almost absolute dependence on people and circumstances. Holy crap. That's exactly what I was going through and I did not see it. You guys, these girls could have been the fakest bitches in the world and 
I would not have seen it because I had an almost absolute dependence on people and circumstances. I wanted the life that was taken from me through drugs and alcohol, bad marriage, a bad ex-boyfriend. I wanted that life. I wanted it. I had been sober 11 years. I put the plug in the jug. I was doing the right things and God damn it, I was going to take it. I wanted that life. And then he goes on to say, there's a paradox that operates here. We cannot change by trying to be what we are not, by trying to appear more together and more mature than we actually are. The heart of emotional sobriety comes from grappling with the difference between our false self and the one we have constructed to make ourselves more loved and our true self. What my ex-husband and my ex-boyfriend had taken from me was my true self. And I wanted so badly to be my true self that I became a false self. I am not saying that my relationship, my friendships, and my love for these three friends was false or fake. I was not false or fake. But the ideal, the idea of what I was going to gain for myself emotionally from these friendships, that's the false self. And that's why when I got together with them, nothing seemed right. Not because I had been a false liar to them, but because I was trying so hard to be perfect for them that I forgot who I was. I've lost this opportunity once before and I'll be damned if I was going to lose it again. And you guys, I was spinning out of control. Internally, not externally, right? Because if we go back and we look at what was said earlier, that I had put the plug in the jug, but I was definitely trying to appear more together and mature than I actually was. 11 years sober. Yep. So what happened? Well, hanging out with these friends and dude person texts me and says, hey, can we come over? And I'm like, yeah, let me ask them. I said, okay. I said, hey, A and B, someone wants to come over and say hi to you and meet you. They really like you. They would like to say hi and get to know you. I got permission. They came over. They were talking with a couple of other people. And then I went to go talk to another friend of mine who was there. As I was talking to another friend of mine, I heard out of the corner, they were sitting in a corner, out of the corner, because I, ha- I had my ear turned around because I wanted to make sure that my girls were safe. Yes, I knew who this person was but I didn't know him the way I knew them. So I was extremely concerned. And so I should have said at that point, ladies, I don't think this was a good idea. I'm a little bit concerned. I don't feel that this is a safe thing for us to be doing, but I was so worried, so worried about losing these friendships that I did not have the emotional maturity to make a good decision for my safety and their safety and call an audible and be like, nope, I just don't think it's a good idea. And let him be mad at me for making that decision. I had not dealt with adversity issues, girl fights, girl problems, girl group issues, drama. I had never dealt with anything like that in my life because I'd never been subjected to it. And in myself at this point, right in August of 2021 in Minnesota, I am this 20-year-old female just trying to fit in with another group of friends. 20 years old. You guys, I am 41 and I am trying to be 20 because they have so much fun. They look like an amazing group of people and I want to join them in that. 
I was willing to forgo friendships. I was willing to forgo myself. I was willing to forgo everything that I knew about my principles, about my drinking, about my family, about myself, to allow myself to be in these friendships. So I'm sitting there and out of the corner, I hear one of the girls say, and that's why I blocked you. And I turned my head and I was like, what? Well, turns out, because Twitter's a cesspool, homeboy had actually been in touch with one of the friends before. Made some snide, stupid sexual comment and she blocked him. Okay, no big deal. So she blocks him and um, he. I heard him say, well, that's why I just wanted to say I'm sorry. But then he continued to really push the issue and even sit down next to them and surround himself. Like he didn't, he couldn't just say sorry. He wanted so badly, probably what I wanted, right? To fit in, to have those friends. But he did it in a completely immature fashion. He used me to get to them. And at this point, there is nothing I can say to defend myself because I let it happen. I didn't know that he had knew person A prior. I didn't know that they had an interaction prior. And I had no clue that his entire motivation was to use me to get to them. No clue. I should have. But you know why I didn't? You know why I didn't? Because I was so self-centered. I was so concerned about myself that I didn't take the time to look at this situation and go, this is not a good idea. It doesn't matter what they have going on in their lives. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that person A hadn't been talking to me for weeks. It doesn't matter that person B had been drinking that day or whatever. It doesn't matter that person C had put her entire trust into me and she was going through a rough time with some transition in her life too. I had put them all in a bad situation because I wanted so badly to be their friend that I overlooked some of the most basic principles. First of all, I messed with a man in sobriety. I should not have befriended him in the aspect and the way that I did because it put me in a bad situation and it put my friends in a bad situation. This is why we say men stick to men and women stick to women. So what happened? We were getting ready to leave and I talked to one of the girls and I said, oh my God, what the hell was that? And she explained the whole story to me and I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad. And at this time, I have so many things racing through my mind and so many fears, right? So many fears. And how often do we talk about that in sobriety? How many fears we have that I thought, oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity to tell her about my previous relationship with this man so she knows that I'm not hiding anything from her. I want to be honest with her because if this guy can come into our lives and disrupt everything this way that he just did, it's my responsibility now to share everything. And every and I mean everything. In the middle of public, where we are, I, I have to share this because I have to get it off my chest. I, ha- I need her to know that she can trust me. You guys, I'm so out of control because I'm not lacking, mat- I'm not mature. I'm lacking maturity. I'm so afraid of losing this friendship that I know honesty is the best policy. I was going to tell her anyway, but I didn't want to tell her the way I was going to tell her, but I told her anyway. And I told her. 
Yeah, I told her. Luckily for me, at that time, she was understanding. I don't know why. Probably because I gave her a ride. So she had to be understanding at that point. But things were fine. Things were fine at this point. You know, it was weird. It was a moment. It had passed. And we all went out later again that night. We spent the whole day together, you guys. Like, absolutely. We had spent the entire day together. So nothing really happened until the next day. I was downstairs at my mom's house and I was working out, right? And I got this message from the guy telling me that these friends of mine were fake bitches, high school relationship grade, like phone, just going off. And he was telling me that if I align myself with them, that I'm just as fake as they are and they're a bunch of horrible people and blah, blah, blah. And he would not leave me alone. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the best way to handle this is to tell the girls so that they can block him or whatever they need to do. And you guys, the shit storm that ensued at this point, I can't even describe. It was horrendous. And I basically lost all three of my friends. And then some, probably. There was a huge fight. And to be fair, it was a warranted fight because I looked like I had held out on them. I look like I held out on them. And to the one really good friend that I did have, because I told her about my affair earlier, eight years earlier, she believed that I was using the group to get back at that person. (laughs) Do you see where emotional sobriety is a fucking shit show if you don't have it together? 41 years old, you guys. 41 years old. Acting like a goddamn 17-year-old. Because I wanted... The life that was taken from me. I just wanted to be loved. Accepted. I wanted the girlfriends. I wanted the closeness and the fun and the girls trips. And it wasn't even about my ex-boyfriend at that time, right? Like eventually there'd be a point where that would have to be addressed probably. I was hoping not, but the reality of the situation is we make amends and handle situations head on, except when to injure others, to do so would injure others, you know. And um, so I made the mistake of one of the girls had texted me and told me that she just needed time. And so I texted her and I said, nobody's checked on me. What about me? I'm afraid I'm going to relapse. I'm afraid I'm going to relapse. I put my alcoholism and my addiction on her out of everything I did that weekend in that 48 hours I can never take that back I can admit to illicit affairs I can admit to having the wrong motivations I can admit to not being aware of what I was doing but I put my possible relapse in her lap made her responsible for it And you guys, that is something I can never, ever take back. This is my journey with emotional sobriety. This is the quintessential, perfect example of what happens when you just put your plug in the jug and don't work the program. I was working the program, but I wasn't taking emotional inventory. I didn't know how to take emotional inventory for friendships because I'd never had them before. I wasn't fake. I wasn't 
lying to them. I guess you could argue that I was, and that's okay. You guys can argue that. That's I'm not going to argue with you. They just had something that I wanted, and um, it wasn't the fame. It wasn't the attention. I could really go without either. I just wanted a chance to be a part of that group and that happiness. And I was willing to, I don't know about change who I was, maybe, um, but maybe abandon who I should have been is the better way of looking at it. So I haven't talked to those three in months. I don't really blame them for being mad at me. I'm quite sure that one has told the other all the things that I've said. I don't know. I, and it doesn't bother me that they did, like, to be completely honest, because protecting my ex-boyfriend is something that I'm very much like I'm not (laughs) I'm not gonna hide who I am anymore because a lot of my emotional sobriety comes on the heels of making sure that I'm honest I am not going to be fake I'm not going to hide anything anymore because you guys deserve the best they deserved the best and I didn't give it to them and you know what I deserve the best and I didn't give it to myself. Emotional sobriety is something that we all need to take more seriously and I really suggest that we look into what emotional sobriety means for all of us. What it means to really dig into the reason for why we drink, why we use, And why we are all having trouble dealing with life on life's terms, right? We all have trouble living with life on life's terms. But the quality of our recovery is determined by how we respond to the problems or challenges in our lives. But because we don't know how to best respond to these issues, we end up stuck and frustrated. And this is the core of our problem. Dr. Ellen goes on to say over and over again we expect to live up to our expectations or specifications and when it doesn't we try to force the square peg into the round hole we demand the impossible from ourselves others and life itself and then we get frustrated or angry when things don't go our way sometimes we feel depressed or anxious and these reactions lead to a relapse or a dry drunk and there is nothing more true than that last paragraph right there relapse or dry drunk. When I started this podcast, it was because I wanted to help other alcoholics. I had no clue because I started this podcast before I went home. I had no clue that my life was going to take the turn that it did when I was home. But let me tell you what, this entire podcast is my story and my life. And I remember when I first got sober that someday I would help someone else with their sobriety. And I am not a good teacher. I can't sit you down and teach you how to do math because, well, I suck at math anyway, so that's a horseshit example. I make tumblers, okay? I make tumblers on the side. I could not describe to you how to make the tumblers because I just have to do it. And so I'm not a good teacher, but I can tell you things. I can tell you about my experiences and hope that you gain something from those. Hope that you gain something from the mistakes that I've made so you can change the way you do your tumbler, right? If I tell you, hey, I've got too many fish eyes on this, so it's probably because I didn't use enough, you know to use more epoxy on your tumbler so you don't get fish eyes. So sometimes 
our mistakes cost us, right? Our mistakes cost us friendships, marriages, jobs. You guys have heard my jobs. You guys have heard me talk about shitting my pants. You guys have heard me talk about marriages, abuse, children, and there are so many times in the past seven months that I've had opportunities to grow and become a different person. Eleven and a half years sober. And I finally am understanding what emotional sobriety is. I don't know if it's making me a better person yet. I'm hoping it is. I am still struggling with that. With emotional sobriety, the most important thing for me is therapy, right? Seeing a therapist, going to a therapist, having someone there who can help me understand my emotions and how to put them into place. Having someone there who can walk me through emotional maturity, who can help me understand my trauma, why I hurt my friends the way I did, why I reacted the way that I did, what I allow in my friendships. There are still some things that I allow. I allow people to, I just learned this one a couple of months ago. I think I got, I definitely have it on my Instagram, gaslighting. I have been evidently the victim of gaslighting quite often. (laughs) Looking back on it, One of the girls actually accused me of gaslighting and I I didn't understand what that meant. So when I asked my therapist, she told me what it meant. And I was like, I was definitely not gaslighting her. I definitely wasn't. So I felt bad that she thought that. But it turns out that I have heard a lot of gaslighting in my life. So it's very possible that I could have gaslighted people and just I had no idea that I was doing it because I didn't have the emotional sobriety and understanding of what I was doing right? I didn't have an understanding of what I was doing. So I really want to continue this talk. I really want to continue what about emotional sobriety makes us successful. And I know you guys don't really probably want to wait until next week, but that's unfortunately that's just going to be too bad because this episode is already long enough and there's still so much to talk about, right? There's still so much to talk about. This was a really hard episode for me to make because, number one, I never want to put anyone into a situation where they don't feel safe. Number two, it really shows you guys how sincerely immature I was. I also am very sorry to the three of you. I am extremely sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't protect you. I am sorry that I put my sobriety on you. I am sorry for the situation that I got us all into. And most of all to, you know who you are, I'm very sorry about the way that I dropped that issue from my past on you the way that I did and expected you to handle it with grace and understanding and to let it go. That was not, that was not fair. So if any of you ever listened to this episode, that's the whole story. That's why I I won't say sucked at being your friend, but I definitely could have been better. There's a couple of things I wish I would have said in the beginning because I didn't want to, number one, you think that that's why I was being friends with you. Number two, I didn't want to hurt this person's wife. I didn't want to make her suffer. It sounds like I wasn't the only one, so that's evidently a fucking bonus. I don't know. He's disgusting is basically what it boils down to. So I am very sorry. And I know that there is absolutely nothing I can do to make up for the past. But I have to tell this side of my story because if I don't, 
I'm not being honest and I'm not being truthful to myself, my listeners, my sobriety, their sobriety. My mistakes are going to help save other people's lives. So if you're interested in more emotional sobriety, stick around. We are going to do part two of this amazing trash story. There's no more trash to tell. We're just going to talk about the things that we can do in emotional sobriety so we don't have trash stories like this. Attitude of gratitude. Did it last week. Didn't forget it this week. What am I grateful for this week? I am grateful for my boss because he he allowed me to come to him and talk to him about how stressed out I was with work. And he allowed me to take a step back. And he allowed me to work simply my part-time hours. And I know that's kind of like, what are you talking about? That's stupid. We're redistricting a state. It's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And there's a lot going on. And I was taking on too much. And I physically and emotionally cannot handle as much as was coming at me. And I wasn't honest about it. And I ended up having a huge breakdown. A huge, huge breakdown. Because I was so exhausted from putting too much on my shoulders. So... Attitude of gratitude for my amazing boss who continues to inspire and impress me every day. And I will be back next week with part two. Kind of excited for a part two. I'm cool enough to have a part two. Until next time, fam, be well. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of A Sober Girls Podcast. I hope that today's episode was something that you needed to hear today and can carry with you throughout the week until we get together next week. I really look forward to our time together and sharing my experience, strength, and hope so that you feel less alone and more empowered to keep taking it one day at a time. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and on Instagram at a sober girls pod and on our website at a sober girls podcast.podbean.com. There you can find episode specific content and contact information. You can also hear us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Until next time, fam, be well.